Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. There seems to be um, like a clear word from the Lord that's been building session over session. Uh, and so I, I'm in just a moment, I'm going to contribute towards that as well. Um, I figured my piece, uh, you can turn to Revelation 13. I'm going to give you my idea of what the mark of the beast is. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> Some of y'all return to super quick. You're like, oh, this is going to be good. Like, yeah. Like, oh, I've been waiting for this. Um, was anybody, so let me see your hands again. You were here for all the sessions, right? So that means you were here for my wife's session, all right? So my wife and I have this little joke, right? Because she tells a story, and if you track with the details of the story, then it leads you to very funny places, right? So what I mean by that is um, she shared that I broke my back last year, right? That's not the funny place, right? So I, so I really broke my back last year, June 29th. Um, severely fractured my L5, the most extraordinarily humbling pain I've ever known in my whole life, all right? Um, go to the doctor. The doctor's like, hey, listen, he's a believer. He says, we're going to go with this with no shots, no pain pills. He's like, man, because you know what happens. He said, if you get the shots and the pain pills, you're going to leave here thinking that you feel better than you actually are. And in most instances, you're going to begin to make moves that you shouldn't be making, right? He said, I need you for the next two weeks. He said, give me two weeks. It was a total setup, but he said, give me two weeks. He said, I need you to be sensitive to the boundaries. He said, because when you go home, if you try to move and do something and it hurts, the first thing that you're going to think is that hurts, right? So don't do that. He's like, I need you to be aware of the boundaries. He said, because I see it all the time. He's like, you got to understand the pills and the shots are a man-made or a synthetic way to deal with pain. He said, so you numb what's broken, and you go home thinking that you're better than you actually are, but you're not actually whole, you're in the process of being healed. And he said, and what happens in most cases is because people aren't sensitive to the boundaries, they make moves that they shouldn't be making because they are unaware of how those moves are actually creating complications towards the journey of healing and becoming whole. He said, and then I see people that come back regularly. He said, they come back all the time. He's like, we pump them with shots, we give them the pills, they go home, then they come back. And now they have compound issues because they thought that they felt better than they actually were and they weren't sensitive to not make moves that they shouldn't have been making while they were on the journey of being healed or healing. And he said, now they have issues in a compounded way. He said, and a lot of times what ends up happening is because people just are totally oblivious and they'd rather go the synthetic way. He said, then they spend a lifetime having to make accommodations for things that are still broken. They're not healed or whole the way that they should have been. And so now they have to set their life up in order to cater to or in order to make accommodation for or in order to cover up things that they know they didn't actually deal with the right way. And, and I'm sitting in the office and I was like, bro, if this dude has an organ player, like I'm gonna be the first one 
right? Like, I mean, if he just starts hitting to play, like, it's one of those. And I was like, man, if he, yo, if he hits it, I'm the first one, right? Like, I get, I'm sitting in the doctor's office, and I was like, okay, Lord, yeah, all right, I hear you. All right. So no, no, no shots, right? No pills. And so I go home. For two weeks, the most humbling pain I've ever known in my life. Um, and we'll talk about humility in just a few moments. The most humbling pain I've ever known in my whole life, right? No BLT. It's not bacon, lettuce, and tomato, right? That's no bending, leaning, or twisting, right? Not even this, like, right? You were like, man, you got a broken back and no BLT? Like, you can't even eat, like, like, what is it about bacon? No, 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 no. No bending, leaning, or twisting. Uh, and so I'm at home, right? Can't, can't put my own socks on, can't put my own underwear on. Like, my wife is helping me with stuff. My kids are helping me. They understand, like, dad is humbled. Right, right? And I'm humbled because I'm not able to do things the way that I want to. I'm humbled because I'm not able to present myself in a strong way like I would prefer to. Um, I'm, I'm humbled by the process that I'm going through, and it has broken me down. Uh, again, the most humbling pain I've ever known. But what I didn't understand is that it was, it was somewhat of a divine setup. He said, give me two weeks. Two weeks later, I was sitting in a church gathering in Orlando. Um, it was a house church meeting. My wife and I planted a house church in Orlando six years ago that's become now like a collection of house churches. And we were in one of the gatherings on a Sunday morning. And during worship, uh, a word of healing came out. Right? Let, let me, you, don't, you don't need like a strong prophetic gift to know if you got to do with a broken back in the meeting. Right? Like, um, and so a word of healing came up. And they felt to rally around me and lay hands on me. And so they did. And day by day, I started feeling a little bit better and better to the point where seven days later, now, now granted, my back's been broke for two weeks. X-rays, no shots, no pills. Two weeks into it, they lay hands on me. Seven days later, I am a brand new person, right? So much so that I got up, and I, you would have to understand my personality a little bit. So, so I get up on Sunday, and I'm like, babe, I'm telling you, like, I, I feel so much better. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, it's like, I feel so good that it's messing with me mentally. Like, I think I'm losing my mind. But I know I can do things that I shouldn't be able to do. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I, I'm going to conquer this thing mentally. I'm going to test it. And she's like, well, well, what does that mean? I was like, oh, I'll be back. <laughs> right? So I get dressed, it, it, not like dress, dress. I get dressed like in gym type attire. I jog a 5K in my neighborhood do a bunch of pull-ups, a bunch of push-ups and lunges and like all kinds of crazy stuff. I come into the meeting, right? I testify in the meeting. Like, man, y'all prayed for me last Sunday. Like, I'm feeling better. Everybody's like, oh, you're feeling better? I'm like, no, no, no. let me tell you how better I'm feeling. And then I share what I've done over the course of the morning. And people are like, there's no way. Like, dude, you had a broken back last week, right? So I go to the doctor. This has nothing to do with what I'm going to share in a few moments. Um, <laughs> So I go to the doctor, and he's like, man, so this is Monday, and he's like, man, so how are you feeling? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. And he's like, really? So, like, have you tried to do anything? Like, have you tried to, like, progress in your movements? Now, now let, me, let me just tell you where I was at. They were forecasting six months minimum for me to be able to stretch again. Right? Six months minimum. Six, six to eight months is what they said. I used the shorter side. Um, six to eight months for me to be able to stretch again. Um, now, that's just simple bending and things of that nature. And so he's like, so what have you tried to do? And I was like, well, um, 
yesterday, I, I jogged a 5K, and man, like did a whole bunch of workout stuff, and he erupts laughing in the office. Now, he's a believer, and the way that he tried to encourage me the day that I came in and my back was broke is he used to be a soccer player for the Puerto Rican uh, Olympic team. And at 17, 18 years old, he broke his neck on the soccer field. Um, and he was sharing with me, this is how he's encouraging me, right, when I'm there with a broken back. Um, but he's sharing with me that breaking his neck on the soccer field is actually what created the trajectory for where he is in life now, because he would not have entered into um, like studying and medical practice and things of that nature. Um, and he said, man, I, I just want to encourage you that sometimes God will take what looks like our most broken moment and use it to frame in our future. He said, breaking my neck on the soccer field at 17 made me a multimillionaire. Soccer was never going to pay him that. And so I tell him what I did, and he busts out laughing, and he's like, okay, no, 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 okay, if you're feeling better, then we're going to put you through some mobility movements. He does that. Um, he starts crying in the office because he says there's no way that you could still have any sort of issue because if you did, you would be squealing and wailing right now. And he breaks down, and he's like, I have no way to medically document like what has happened to you. We have the x-rays from three weeks ago. This is not supposed to be possible, right? So, so why is this even funny, right? Because so far I've shared nothing that's funny. Anna shares that I broke my back. Then we found out that we lost a baby. And then three weeks later, or three and a half weeks later, this was all in a matter of a couple of days, me breaking my back and us losing a baby. Um, but three and a half weeks later, she found out she was pregnant again. But she never said that I was healed. <laughs> it's like, bro, with a broken back? Like, <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 not with a broken back. Like I was healed. And you know, every evangelist, like do something you couldn't do. Right? Like, test it out. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> ay, ay, ay. some of you are not going to remember anything that I say. That's the only thing. You're like, man, this dude had a broken back. Um, let, let's do this. <laughs> open, open to Philippians chapter 2. Open to Philippians chapter 2. I do feel like the Lord has been building a conversation with us, uh, and myself included. That's why I say us, right? We're, we're not exempt. Um, and for that, I, I want to take a look at some things out of Philippians chapter 2 tonight. Um, and so if you have that, let's hold that. And then you can grab John 13, if you'd like to do that. In Philippians 2, we're going to look at verses 1 to 11. And in John 13, we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. You don't have to turn to Revelation 13. (laughs) 
right? So Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 11, we're going to take a look at an exhortation that Paul gives. Um, mine, I'm, I'm looking at it in the NASB, although I'll reference several translations because it just, it, it fills out or it makes the language more robust, if you would. Um, different translations have different wording, and so the, the different angles of the point that's being made. Uh, and then also for John 13, verses 1 to 5, because I, I really felt in my heart tonight to share with us or to attempt to unpack in what might seem like a minimal way the thought that God is humble. He's humble. And if, if we're not careful, then we get influenced by the discipleship agenda that the sway of the wicked one and the current or the pattern of the world has issued. And if we're not careful, then we end up getting conditioned, right, by the system of the age and the ways of the world. And what I mean by that is that the conditioning or the discipleship effort on part of the rulers of the age, powers and principalities, and, and just how all of that influence gains traction in the hearts and in the minds of people that then creates a certain current or a trajectory that the world is on. It creates a pattern, right? right? Paul would say in Romans 12 to um, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? But he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. So he's speaking to believers there, right? The ideas in Romans 12 is it's believers. He's not just talking to people that are in the world, right? We expect people that are in the world to act like they're in the world, like we get that. But Paul is saying that there's a sway of the wicked one, right? This 1 John 5, 19, where John says, Beloved, we know that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Right, the whole world, right? In Ephesians 2, Paul uses the language of the tyranny of the powers of the air, he says at one point, this is where we all lived. He says, but God in his tender loving mercies, right, in Christ made us alive to him. And now we can actually see his son and we live in this constant or continual place of fellowship. And it's real and it's beautiful and it's transformative. Right? So he says we all used to be a part of this category, but God has done something by his own desire. While we were imprisoned in this category, right, no power to produce a change in the category. We were all what the, the language in Ephesians 2 would say, we were all dead in our trespasses, right? A bondage. We were in bondage. We were enslaved to the influence that was being wielded by the spirit of the age, the powers of the air, right? And their goal was to make us indulge on the lustful thoughts of the heart and of the mind, right? So whatever I feel I want or whatever I think is best, right? This is the goal of powers, to get us to reject God's loving invitation to see him, come to him, learn from him, and then have our life, uh, I guess you could say, harnessed by his loving boundaries of what is the best possible way for us to live our lives in an ongoing way, right? Paul says we were all prisoners, but God has done something. But God has done something. Not we have done something. God has done something, right? We were sin-satisfied, 
We were dead in our trespasses. We were self-centered. We were a slave to self-satisfaction. We were constantly overindulging in the lustful cravings of this natural man, the system of the age, all of its discipleship efforts, right, to condition us, to train us what we should want, the things that we should esteem, what is pursuit worthy. And if we're not careful, the reason that I bring this up is that we would hear a statement such as the one that I just issued. God is humble. And we lack the necessary appreciation. And and appreciation is such, it falls so low on the totem pole of what I want to set your gaze on him or to behold something of him. What is it that was in what you saw that made him as attractive as he is? And I would like to consider for the next few moments that that one of those things is that God is humble. And his humility is, it's just incomprehensible. Like like God is is humble, right? And this is where we begin in Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, again, I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. He says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And have this attitude in yourselves, or have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has a desire to be known. There's a longing that God has to be known. I would submit that it's one of the reasons that we have the experience of the age that we have. That God is setting the stage in order to reveal himself or to make known about himself the things that he longs to have known. I would suggest that it's the reason that creation and powers and people were made. That it's one of the reasons that this time period, that this age, right, we understand we're leaning in towards the end of the age, where time will climax and it will come to an end, it will come to a close, where the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and the return of the king as he comes riding upon the clouds 
And that great Revelation 21, he will abolish death. He will right every wrong. He will wipe every teary eye dry. And it will be said in those days that God dwells in the midst of his people. So we understand that we're coming towards the end of the age. But I would suggest and I would submit to you that one of the primary reasons that this age as we know it even exists is because God longs to be known. And he's setting the stage in order to reveal of himself the things that he has a desire for others to know about him. One of the reasons that creation, powers, and people exist is because God needed a context in order to give a revelation of himself. That until the moment where the opportunity presented itself, there was not a clear understanding of an aspect of his nature that he longed to reveal to others. Right through the journeying in the scriptures, we have these beautiful moments where it seems as if the heavens are cracked and we get to glimpse into these throne room visitations, these moments of glory, Right, Ezekiel 1, he says, out by the river this day, this year, this person and king, these people were around. He says, man, the heavens were opened, and I was taken into visions of God. And Ezekiel sees creatures. Ezekiel sees a throne. He sees fire. He sees a, a, a crystal sea. He sees jewels and gems and a wheel inside of a wheel. And there's so much majesty and glory and splendor. And there's a throne because God is enthroned, right? And we're okay with the God that is all-powerful, right? We're okay with the God that's enthroned. We're okay with the God that brings judgment. We're okay with the God that issues sentences to those that are living in wrong ways or out of the boundaries of his desires and his leadership. We seem to be fine with that. Right, Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, in chapter 6, he says, I saw the Lord. And he was, he was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And there was glory, and there was smoke, and there was angels, and all the host of heaven erupting. Holy, holy, holy. There's nothing like you. In Revelation 4, once again, as John is caught up, Right? The revelatory door opens. Come up here and I, I want to show you things. And of the things that John gets to gaze upon, he sees one seated on a throne. And he sees that elders and angels and creatures and the host of heaven, they rally around the one that's enthroned. And they worship him day and night, whatever that means in eternity. And they sing the same song because they haven't gotten bored. They sing the same song because it's the only thing that comes out of them when they get to look upon this one. It's the only thing that they know to say, right? And we understand in the mindset, like the way that you would like try to severely emphasize a word or a point is you would say something in a, a repetitious way. You would say the same word three times in a row. It would be like in a text, all caps and like a couple of exclamation points. Right, where you get the point, like, oh, okay, like, oh, man, it's in all caps. Like, I can imagine, like, you're yelling on the other side. <laughs> so they would say the same word, but they would say it three times in a row. And it would be like the ultimate way 
to try to make your point and to say what you're saying. Holy, holy, holy. We've never seen anything like you. You, you, are, so, you are so other than, you are so set apart. You, you are so wonderful. You are so beautiful. You are so glorious. We, we are trying to communicate, but words fall short. They lack the, the necessary substance for us to be able to, to effectively communicate to others what it is that we feel whenever we see what you've allowed us to see. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah would say it this way later in chapter 55. He would say, you're, you're just not like us. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. You, you are so other than. You're, you're just not like us. And, and praise God, because that's actually really good news. That, that's, that is good news. Right? That, that's great news, as a matter of fact, that he's not like us, that he's not trying to be like us, but in fact, he's trying to make us more like him, which is the good news, because I'm really glad that you are not the goal. <laughs> right? I'm really glad that I'm not the goal. Right? I'm glad that he is the goal and that he is so satisfied. He's so secure. He, he's not secure in a way that he's into himself, in an arrogant, self-inflated, self-appraisal, prideful, vain type of way. No, 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 no. He's none of these things. He's humble. He's humble. And because he's humble, he understands that he's the goal. And because he's humble, he longs to reveal himself so that Everything that he reveals himself to can better from what is being revealed of himself. Because God understands the best possible thing that could happen to you or to me is for him to reveal himself to us. The best possible thing that could happen to you is for him to reveal of himself to you something that he longs for you to know or to see in him or about him. God is humble. And by humble, I don't mean the, the worldly definition, which is to lower in stature or value or to diminish in value or like a depreciation that happens over time, right? It's not like the humbled little broken offering that you bring. No, no, no. It, it's none of these things because, again, it's not the world's idea of what humility is. It's not the world's conditioning attempt to recognize what humble actually looks like. When I say that God is humble, I'm not saying that he has depreciated appreciated over time. That, that's not what I'm saying. When I say that God is humble, this is what I mean. He is at all times self-sacrificing through radical love and generosity. At all times. At all times, God is self-sacrificing. At all times, he is always giving of himself or sacrificing himself through radical love and generosity and not just with no point or end or agenda, but in order to serve and better others. God is humble. He's so humble 
He understands the best thing that he could do is give of himself to others. Because it's through the giving of himself to others that others actually become better than they actually are. And this is what Paul is beginning to communicate in Philippians 2. And he gives us some extraordinary language. He says, God is humble. We read over it so quickly that oftentimes we we don't catch the necessary, uh, again, the traction that we should by what's actually being communicated. He says that God is humble because God came into the human story. He came into the human story. Right? The psalmist writes, right, he, he humbles himself to come down and to look upon the things in the heavens. Right? He humbles himself. If God humbles himself to look upon the things in the heavens, then how humble does God actually have to be to enter into the human story? Because he just doesn't enter into the human story in a way where he comes and flexes his might and his deity. No, 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 no. He's too humble for that. But he enters into the timeline of history. And, and it's such an epic event that it literally cuts all of time into two time periods. God revealing himself as a man in the person of Jesus cuts the timeline of history into two parts. It is the most epic and humbling event. But he doesn't just come as a man, but he enters into the timeline of history, right? The God who is enthroned in the place of eternity, power, glory, majesty, might, awe, wonder, fire, crystal sea, glass, all of these things, elders, angels, creatures. This God humbles himself to come into the human story, but he comes as an embryo in the womb of a woman. In the most humbling possible way that you can enter into the equation, God comes. And he says that he came in the likeness of a man. Are you saying that God will become a man? That this infinite, immortal God is going to humble himself? To actually become one of the creatures that he has formed? That God would reduce himself down to enter into the human equation, but not just as a God, meaning like something superior to the rest of us, but that he would come as one of us. That he would reduce himself down to enter into the human story in a human vehicle. That he would present himself in the human, that the creature that he has formed. This is what you're telling me. This is what I'm telling you. But as if that wasn't humbling enough, he continued to look for lower and lower and lower places. Um, Because I I would suggest to you that in God being self-sacrificing through radical love and generosity, that he's always seeking out the lowest place among us in order to serve his desires for us. That God is lowly. God is lowly. He's kind. He's gracious. 
He's compassionate. He's tender. He's humble. And he's so humble that he's the only person that can say he's humble and have it actually be right. Right? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me. Right? All of you who are weary, all of you who are burdened, all of you that are tired of trying to do it your own way, come to me. It says, learn from me. Right? Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, for I am gentle and I'm humble. Come to me and learn from me because I'm humble. Who says this? For real. Like, who is so humble and knows that they are so humble that would dare suggest to you that the best thing that could happen to you is that you would come close enough to see him, and not just to see him, but to learn from him. Who is humble enough to say, the best thing that I could do for you is make myself accessible to you? That's the best thing that could happen to you. Because if I make myself accessible to you, and if I reveal what I am to you, if I disclose myself to you, if I let you catch a glimpse, if I let my life be unveiled, if you look deeply into me, gaze and behold, it's actually the best thing that could happen for you. And, and I'm humble enough to tell you that. I'm, I'm humble enough to let you know the best thing that you need is to learn from me. Because again, we, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, right? This Romans 8, 29, predestination. We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son because Jesus has become the pattern. And in looking or in beholding the one who is now the pattern, we find the power for our Passover, our deliverance and our exodus when we see in him something that is so other than what we are. But God is not just presenting his son to cover the history of your own walk with the Lord. Then you will quickly realize that he is not trying to cater to, at times, your inaccurate assumptions about who he is or what he is. Because again, he's secure. And because he's secure, he doesn't have this tension where if you think something about him that's not accurate, he immediately has to rush in and like try to fix it. Because that would be insecure. Because insecurity says, I can't let you think something about me or say something about me that's not accurate with the way that I want others to think about me or talk about me because it bothers me more than it actually bothers you. And so with it bothering me, I now have to rush in and fix those things so that you can think about me right or talk about me right. And, and if you look back over the history of your walk, this is just not the way that it is. Have you ever had a circumstance in your life where you were like, man, Lord, like, like, man, like, based, based off of what I, what I know about you or based off of the way that I think about you, right? Like, I thought you would have done this in this situation. Right? Nobody? Right? Like, because we do. We, we develop these assumptions. 
We begin to form these ideas and these opinions. Well, if you're God, then you'll say this. If you're God, then you'll intervene this way. If you're God, then you'll do this. And at times, those expectations lead us off this massive cliff of disillusionment and disappointment whenever our idea of who we want God to be is not the God that he actually reveals himself to be, right? Because again, he's not trying to be more like you or even your opinion about what you think you want him to be like, right? Habakkuk says, man, I'm looking around in chapter one and you just, you're just gonna let me lift my voice all day and you're never gonna come through. I keep crying out, injustice, injustice, where are you? You're not listening, you don't seem to care. All hell is breaking loose in life and God is nowhere to be found. And God says, look again, I'm actually the one initiating all of these events. Well, that kind of stinks. <laughs> because that's, that's uh, of everything that I would, you know, hope you would say, th that's not even last on the list. Like, that's nowhere to be found. Right? Job, when he's suffering in a wild way, he says, man, I wish God were here. Because if he was, I'd put him on the stand. And I'd question him like a man to his face. Really? Okay. And in chapter 38 and 39, God comes. Because in, in most cases, he's not trying to correct all of your inaccurate assumptions by immediately satisfying the tension or the wrestling of your conversation that you've created against him in your heart. This is not what he's looking to do. He longs to be known, but in his longing to be known, again, he understands the best thing that he could do is to reveal himself to you. Because it's in him being revealed to you that it clears up all of the assumptions we had, it immediately brings correction to all of our inaccurate opinions, all of our accusations, all of our fault finding, all of our evaluation of who God is, who we thought he was, who we want him to be. All he does is he keeps on coming. And he keeps coming. And he says, look at me. I'm going to reveal myself to you again. No, no, I'm not having your conversation. Look at me. Look at me, because you should come to me and learn from me. But it's not because there's something that we are supplementing that he's lacking. Right? Even in the invitation to worship, God doesn't invite us to worship him because he needs it. <laughs> because he is. And, and so th this might be alarming to some of us. But our worshiping him is not changing him. Our worshiping him is not making him something that he wasn't already. Right? Our devotion to him is not twisting his arm and transforming him over time to be something more like what we want him to be. No, he is. And in what he is, even being adored and being adored forever, he is unchanging. Because what he is, he is, and he is it eternally. So if he's not being changed or bettered through the invitation to worship, then who's actually being changed? 
who's actually becoming better? Even God's invitation to behold him and to worship him is so that he can serve his desires in your heart and in your life. He is serving you by inviting you to behold him and to worship him because he knows if you can ever just catch a glimpse of what it is that he himself is revealing, it's going to change everything about you. And Paul says he comes into the human story as a man. I mean, as baffling as that is. But he's not just entering in, humbling himself in a human vehicle. But even while a man, he's looking for the lowest place. He's intentionally looking for and choosing the lowest place. Again, because I would suggest God was longing for a context in order to reveal something about himself that had not yet had the proper stage for it to be revealed the way that he wanted it to be known. And Paul says it wasn't enough for him just to come as a man. But even as a man, he was obedient and he suffered and that suffering unto death And that death was on a cross. And while powers gathered round and mocked, right, had the rulers of the age known that 1 Corinthians 2, 6, 7, and 8, had the rulers of the age known what they were doing when they nailed Jesus to the cross, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory had they understood that what they thought was a masterful setup in order to crucify this God and to get rid of him forever and to not have to deal with him or his ways anymore. Had they understood that rather than their plans succeeding, God was simply using them to set the proper stage in order for him to give an ultimate revelation of who he actually is that did not have the right context until that moment for others to actually see him in the way that he longs for what he wants to be known about him to be revealed. And he let them set it all up. He let them set it all up. Understand the process. God as a man yielded himself to the brutality of the process, being beat beyond description being humiliated, being embarrassed, being spit on and criticized and laughed at and mocked and left for dead, hanging, naked, exposed. This is God we're talking about. And in the middle of the afternoon, God hanging naked on a piece of wood, being mocked by people in powers. He says, now, now is the time where you'll be able to see something about me that until this moment didn't have the right stage for me to display it accurately. The one who has been enthroned in the place of eternity longed for an aspect of his nature to be revealed or to be demonstrated to people and to powers and yes even to the universe itself because God is humble 
And he's so humble that he was longing for the right setup, the right context, the right stage to be set. He was waiting for circumstances to align themselves properly in order for him to give a revelation of himself. Because God longs to be known, and in the middle of the afternoon, there God hangs. Despised, embarrassed, humiliated. You see, when we think of being humbled, we think of being humiliated by something. And in fact, it's actually why in most cases we resist it. Right, right? There's something about us that, that doesn't like to be humiliated. Right? Nobody's right, like, oh, I, I love that. <laughs> right? None of us, right? There's something about us that, that does not like to be humiliated. Because again, we, we've been conditioned by this world and the pride of life, right? It despises humiliation because we long to give the right image. We want to be presentable before people. We want to seem powerful or popular. We want to seem right, right? None of us want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be mocked. We don't want to be criticized. We don't want to be talked about, right? We don't want to be abandoned or betrayed because it, it leaves us feeling humiliated. But here God hangs, and he hangs in humiliation because he's actually so satisfied in who he is that he understands that he's not defined by the terms or the association of the world and its ways, nor is he trying to cater to what we think is appealing or the demands that we make. Here he hangs, humiliated for all to see, and he's giving a revelation of himself. I'm humble. Look at me. I'm so humble that I would be willing to set the stage to demonstrate my humility in real time. In real time, I would be willing to set the stage to demonstrate my humility, to give of my own life, to sacrifice of myself in radical love and generosity. And I would be willing to do it in hopes that it would crack the calloused heart of enemies and foes and rebels and betrayers and mockers and criticizers. He's not setting the stage in order to lay himself out there for those that are actually worthy of such a display. Right? He's not setting the stage or preparing the context so that he can demonstrate this humility to those that at least deserve it. <laughs> Who are you, Lord? Who is this King of glory? Any God that would be willing to lower himself to the absolute lowest place and be willing to joyfully for the joy set before him to joyfully be embarrassed and criticized and humiliated and mocked and beat and tortured and spat on and left for dead. Any God that would give of himself this way and in such an extraordinary, incomprehensible way in hopes to reconcile 
enemies and executioners? <laughs> Any God that would be humble enough to constantly sacrifice of himself in the most generous and radically abundant loving way any God that would be willing to give and give and give of himself in hopes that through what he is revealing about himself in hopes that that revelation of himself would be all the means necessary to crack the calloused heart of a rebel of an independent of one who is hostile in nature towards their idea of God. Yeah, I know that you have a lot of ideas about me. But this is what I'm going to do in order to satisfy that. I'm going to lower myself to the lowest possible place among you. And I'm going to do what no one else can do. And I'm going to set the stage. And I'm going to set the stage. But in setting the stage, I'm going to set an ultimate stage. Because it has to be a stage that is humble enough or humiliating enough in order for me to reveal how humble I am and the length that I am willing to go to demonstrate my humility towards you in hopes that it would be enough for you, that you would see something that is so not like you, that you would see something that is so other than, so holy, that you would be willing, that it would melt your heart when you see it. This is what I'm hoping it does. And I know that there will be some that will reject my offer, but I'll do it anyways. Because I'm humble. And God sets the stage and reveals his humility. Because he's the only one that can be trusted to wield all power and authority in a way that is constantly trying to better others. He's constantly wielding power and authority, trying to make others better than they are. Any God that is at all times wielding power and authority to make others better, friends and foes, betrayers and buddies, <laughs> any God that this is who he is, you have to understand, the cross is not an immediate solution to what looks like an eternal consequence or a problem. It's not like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to have to do something that's kind of outside of who I am, but it's what has to be done. I, I have to do this, but, but it's not like me, right? I, I have to give myself this way because it just, it, it, it's what's going to satisfy the situation. And so I'm willing to do it even though it's, it's not who I am. This isn't some facade. It's not some act, right? It's not some demonstration in order to create an opinion about him that's not actually accurate with what he wants to be known about himself. And any God that is constantly searching out the lowest places among us, wielding power and authority in order to better us, and is willing to sacrifice of himself in hopes to reconcile enemies and executioners, any God that is this way is a God that can be trusted with our whole life. 
a God that can be worshipped for all of eternity. You do understand God is the only person that can be worshipped forever and not be changed. <laughs> Man, some of us can't get a couple extra likes on a post. <laughs> right? Like, no, no, bro. Have you checked my post lately? Like, yo, I, I got 13 more likes than two hours ago. Like, hey, listen, I, you ain't got that many likes. You know what I'm saying? Like, bro, I'm just, I'm just telling. So, some of us can't get a few extra likes without it changing us. We were not actually made with the capacity to be worshipped and be unchanged by being worshipped. God is the only person that can handle being worshipped forever and ever and ever and remain consistent, remain what he is, remain the great I am, consistently be self-sacrificing even though he's being worshipped and adored forever. And any God that would be humble enough to keep on giving of himself with the overall agenda of making me better, is a God that can be trusted with my whole life. And this is what we find in John 13. For anybody who thought I forgot, it's a, it's a constant thing. In John 13, we have the last moments, some most believe, before Jesus is going to be handed over. Right, He's willingly giving himself to the process. No man takes my life from me. The Father's given me power to lay it down. So he's about to give himself to a process that he knows is going to humiliate him beyond belief. And he's about to give himself to that. And in John 13, we understand, because it actually says that when you look at John 13, knowing that his end was drawing near, or that the days were being fulfilled where he was going to give himself over to what he knew was his whole reason for being. Um, again, I, I would suggest that one of the purposes of the age is so that God could reveal himself in the person of Jesus and then give an extraordinary witness of himself in the person of Jesus. And he knows that his days are coming to a close. They're, they're drawing close. And it says that he knew that he came from the Father. And he knew that all things had been given over to him, or some translations say all power had been given to him. And he knew that he was going back to his father. And those that had been given to him, he was responsible and he loved them. And he loved them to the end. And the devil already having put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Uh, let, let me just tell you, right, side note, little rabbit trail for a second. Um, any man that can walk with God as a man for three and a half years and still be given over to the voice of the enemy, <laughs> still yield his heart to demonic agenda, right? Judas sold Jesus out for 30 bucks, right? Y you might be an incredible friend, <laughs> right? But, but if Judas walking with Jesus, was still prone to the voice of the enemy and chose to give himself to what that voice was inspiring him to do, that there's just going to be people at times that you give yourself to 
give yourself to, give yourself to, do everything that you know to do, to love them, to serve them, to be self-sacrificing, radical love and generosity, to just keep on giving yourself. There's going to be people at times that just do wildly absurd things that don't make any sense. They're out there. And there's plenty of them. And if Jesus' life was not preserved from such a one, then I would suggest just ready your heart. (laughs) Right? Because Judas puts Jesus on the cross, not John. Right? John's loyal to the end. Right? He thinks of himself, I'm the one that Jesus loves. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. He writes it about himself. It's amazing. We should all know that about ourselves. I'm not mocking. It's amazing. It's actually fantastic. But John doesn't put Jesus on the cross. Judas does. Right? And so Jesus is there. And it says he knows that his days are coming to a close. He knows where he's come from. He knows he has all power. And he knows where he's going back. And he knows that among them is one that is betraying him. And it says in these moments, because what you understand as well as I is towards the end of someone's life, what tends to matter most is what comes out. Right? I've never sat on the bedside of somebody that was about to cross over into forever or eternity. I've never sat in a hospital somewhere or been in someone's home where where they knew they had hours or days or, or moments left. Um, and just hear them say things like, you know, if I could, if I could do it all over again, like, like man, I'd, I'd love to see the Rocky movies again. Like, like, if I could do it all over again, man, I'd, I'd have spent more time at my favorite Chinese spot. No, like, like, typically what happens is at the end, there's a reflection or an overall consideration of what matters most. And what matters most tends to come up. It tends to come out. And so Jesus is at the end. He's close. And it says that his response to the situation that he is in, again, this is in John 13, is he gets up from them and he unrobes or unclothes himself. Because he's always trying to expose himself to us. He wants to be known as he is and to be known rightly. And in order for him to be known rightly, he must reveal of himself what he longs for others to know about himself. And he unrobes himself or he unclothes himself. And it says that he takes on the garments of a servant because he's always wielding power to serve. He's always wielding power and authority in a lowly way, trying to make others better. He's always trying to leverage everything that he knows the Father has put on his life in order to serve his Father's desires in both buddies and betrayers, friends and foes. And it says that he gets up and he takes on the garments of a servant and he begins to wash feet. What does God as a man do 
in the remaining few moments that he has as a free man. He exposes himself, and he finds the lowest place, and he serves, and he washes feet. And it's important that we understand what John is communicating because he says he knows where he came from, he knows that he has all power, and he knows where he's going back to. I would call this security. He's secure in his identity. And because he's secure in his identity, it implies he's not insecure. He's secure. He knows who he is. And because he knows who he is and he knows whose he is, and he knows that his father has trusted him with all power, all authority, all glory, he is secure in his identity. And because he is secure in his identity, he can be trusted with any and every activity. Because he understands that the invitation to an activity is not an assault on his identity. Because he is what he is. And it doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter the things his father asks him to do. What he's doing does not affect his overall state of being. Let, let me make it simple. Right? Some of us reject activities that are not in alignment with the way that we want others to think about us. And so we're not free to participate in any and every activity because we would only look for or yield to the activities that create the ideas in other people's eyes and minds of who it is that we want other people to think we are. And it's because we have insecurity that we look for activity to supplement the things that we're lacking on the inside. Oh, man. And so I have to go looking for things to do because I don't actually believe who it is that God says I am. And now I'm only willing to do things that are going to create the ideas that I want other people to have about me. And so there's no way that I would humiliate myself and get up and wash feet. There's no way that I would look for lowly places in order to serve and to be self-sacrificing through radical love and generosity. Are you kidding me? I've graduated from things like that. Like, I don't do that type of stuff anymore. Like, like I've hired people to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> that, that's, that's beneath my pay grade now. But Jesus is free. And he's so free that he can do anything his father asks him for. I delight to do your will because I know who I am. I know that I have all power and I know where I'm going back. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter the things that my father asks me to do, even if in the eyes of others, it's embarrassing. 
Even if in the eyes of others, it's humiliating. Even if it seems in the eyes of others that I'm being belittled. Because I understand that even the littlest, most humiliating things that my father might ask me to do does not belittle me or diminish me or depreciate me at all. Because I know who I am and what I am. And I am that I am. And the is is what he is. And the is doesn't change by what the is does. And so he gets up. And he's okay to wash feet, but he's not just washing the feet of friends. (laughs) He's washing the feet of foes. Because again, God is constantly setting the stage to give a witness of himself in hopes that the humility that is on display would be powerful enough and provisionary enough in order to crack the calloused heart of any rebel. And he begins to wash feet. Because again, his activity is not an assault on his identity. And any of us that perceive activities that God invites us to as an assault on our identity, there are ways that we will refuse giving ourselves over to the Lord because at times he asks us to do things that are embarrassing. I remember a few years ago, um, I, was on, I was on a longer fast. I'm sharing the details of the story because they're just what they are. Um, I was on a longer fast, and I, I, was, I was in a fast, and I heard the Lord say, will you give me 2019? And this would have been September of 2018. I remember the day. I remember where I was. I was laying in my bed. I was trying to go to sleep. I just had just my thoughts on the Lord trying to just, I mean, just be attentive even before um, going to sleep. And this has to happen super fast because I have the gift of sleep. And I can fall asleep anywhere, anytime. Like, it don't take much. Anna's always like, I don't know how you do that. And I'm like, I just close my eyes. Like, (laughs) I don't know how you not do that. And as I was laying there, I heard the Lord say, will you give me 2019? And I knew exactly what he was asking for. I knew exactly what he wanted. Um, He was asking me to do a 2019 Daniel fast, right? Um, And I'm just going to be honest. It hurt my feelings. It hurt my feelings. I mean, like, in a very severe way. Like, I was hurt in a place, like, deep on the inside. Um, And to be honest, I wasn't so offended by what he was inviting me into because, like, I'm just into meat that much. If if we're going to be honest, it was more of a vain thing. Because the meat is a means to an end, right? So, so I used to be in the fitness industry in a big-time way and like a CrossFit competitor and all this crazy stuff. Uh, and so the meat isn't what matters, right? The meat is a means to an end. What matters is the results of a particular process. And meat is just a part of that. And if I'm going to be honest, I wasn't hurt because I couldn't eat meat anymore. I was hurt because I immediately understood that I would be giving myself 
to a process like working out and things like that and wouldn't be able to produce the results that I would normally get. And that I would for a year's time, right? Because it, it, just in my own heart, I was like, oh man, this is gonna be bad. Like, like man, like, like man, oh, what's the point then? Like, like if I'm not gonna be able to do it and like, like if I'm not gonna be able to get the results and, and the Lord was like, why does this matter to you so much? Right, let, let, me, let me suggest, he knows the right buttons to push to unravel the whole thing. He's going to blow the whole thing up from the inside, in most cases, with one question, one invitation, which is a question, right? One question. God is masterful at communication, and he is a mastermind at issuing questions, right? Like, Adam, where are you? Jacob, what is your name? We're going to dig straight into the depths of what the real issue is and what actually matters. And, and, and we're just going to go straight. Like, we're going to go all in, right? And I was like, man, like, this is tragic. Like, I'm going to be like this broken down. Like, man, like, what? Like, Lord. Like, why would you ask me to do something like that? Like, I'm not going to be able to get the results from, like, working out? Like, and the Lord was like, then just don't work out all year. And I was like, man, wh wh whoa, like, <laughs> this is escalating, like, so fast. Like, this is moving very much quicker than I wanted it to. Just don't work out at all then. And my idea of who I wanted to be was devastated. And I didn't even know it. I didn't know why it mattered as much to me as it did. Again, because until you know, you, you don't know. Right? But the Lord invited me to a particular place that I felt was absolutely humiliating. And he did it because in him being self-sacrificing and longing for me to see something of himself in what I considered to be a humiliating place. He could set me free from all of my own ideas and the agenda that is driven with the images or the personification of what it is that I'm after most times. God sets me free from me by letting me see more of him. And he sets me free from the me that I think I want to be by letting me see who it is that he is. Because in seeing him and beholding him, we find provision for our Passover. We can cross over. We can have our exodus out of the deliverance and the bondage of our own idea of ourselves. Yeah. And so I gave myself to this journey and it was absolutely humiliating to me for a long time. And I could not, for the life of me, figure out why it mattered to me as much as it did. And I was like, Lord, am I that vain? I, I didn't want him to answer. <laughs> I felt like I already knew the answer to the question a little bit, but I was like, Lord, is this, is this really? Is this really something that's alive on the inside? Like, Lord, because I'd be lying 
if I said that this didn't hurt? Like, like this is painful. Like what you've asked me for, it seems so ridiculous to others. And others are like, who cares? Right? Others are trying to avoid the gym. You know what I mean? Like, like others are trying to avoid it. Right? And I was like, Lord, why is this so painful? And it hurt. But it hurt so good. And it was painfully beautiful. Right? At, at times, there's just going to be ways that we resist giving ourselves to the Lord if we feel there's going to be any ounce of humiliation that's associated with it. And anything that is embarrassing to you, you'll find reasons not to do. But this is not who God is because he's humble and he's okay with being embarrassed according to what people think because he ultimately knows that he's humble enough to handle it and to reveal of himself to others something potent enough to crush the influence and the conditioning of the world's and its system in our own hearts. And Jesus is there, and he's washing feet. Because he's okay to serve and to serve to the lowest place if it means that there would be one among them that would see something about who he is to reconcile them back through his extravagant offering of humility and love. I'm actually in, uh, just, I'm actually in the process right now. Um, this is going to sound super stupid to, to a lot of you, and that's cool. I'm actually in the process right now of growing my hair out the way that it was in my early 20s which was super long, like down past my shoulders. And when the Lord said it to me, I was very, like, troubled. Because I was like, Lord, that's going to be embarrassing. Because anybody that's ever grown your hair out, you understand, like, there's this broke and busted phase you have to go through. <laughs> where there's just, there's no hope. Like, there's just, there's nothing to do. Like, you're just, you're out there. Like, it's, you're just exposed. Like, everybody can see the journey, right? Like, the process and the way you're being processed, like, it's just out there. And I was like, Lord, this is, this is going to be super embarrassing. And he said, to who? <laughs> I was like, oh. um, To me. And he said, are you embarrassed because you think I'm embarrassed? Or are you embarrassed because you feel others are going to be embarrassed for you when they see you and it will create that sense of shame on you? And you won't be able to freely and joyfully give yourself to me in the ways that I'm asking you to give yourself to me so long as these variety of insecurities are actually influencing the conversation on the inside. Right? Because he longs to give a revelation of himself that would deconstruct these variety of insecurities that in many times create the resistance from us being willing to fully give ourselves because we're always considering 
how others will feel, what others will say, the effect that it's going to create, what will they think about me, how will I be perceived, and all of these things, they dominate the conversation, so much so that in most instances, we remain reserved rather than, like we sang out earlier, I'll become even more undignified than this. Who is that a statement to? It's not a statement to God because God knows that he can be as undignified in the consideration of the eyes of others that would be embarrassed or be humiliated to actually consider having to do what it is that God is willing to do. Well, that would be embarrassing. It would be humiliating. So he's not talking to himself. But the idea is to you and all of the justifications you have to not do what I'm asking you to do or be who I'm asking you to be, I'll become even more undignified than this in hopes that through the offering of my own extravagant love, I might set you free from the system that dominates the conversation so that you might actually be able to give yourself to me because I'm humble and I want you to come and learn from me. I I believe that tonight God wants to destroy the conversation of insecurity on the inside that is creating all of this tension and resistance where we can't wholly give ourselves over to God the way that we know he's been inviting us. The way that at times when we close our eyes and we envision this this life of joy and freedom. Right? Because real freedom is found through God's invitation to become more like him. But he's humble. So many times the pathway is through humility, which sometimes is humiliating (laughs) to us. But it's humiliating to us according to the world system. But it's so freeing. It's so powerful and so real. And I believe that tonight the work of the Spirit in our hearts wants us to catch another glimpse of just how beautiful this God is. So that in seeing something else about his beauty, he might invite us out of and away all of the resistance, all of the wrestling, all of the constant the fighting and the struggle and ju- just all, all, of, all of what is the natural human nature. That tonight the Spirit wants to give us another glimpse, another place of beholding, another beautiful unveiling so that we can actually come out and pass over. What would it look like for you to give yourself to the Lord tonight? the way that he's inviting you to. And not the way that you've already created, well, this is what I'm willing to do, 
and then I'm just going to demand that you accept this. Or this is what I'm willing to do, and I'm going to beg you to bless this. What would it look like if you didn't create your own terms, but you were willing to shed all of the humiliation, the insecurity, the embarrassment, and just go for it? Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.